Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. So I have an unusual message today, but definitely the one that the Lord wants to bring forth right now. Even Ashley's had a dream last night and she was telling me the dream and just like everything today was confirming the word. So we'll deliver it, let the Lord do what he wants to do with it. Let us open in prayer. Father, we come before you right now and we humble ourselves and we submit to you. We sit at your feet, Jesus, and we choose to learn from you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us. We break agreement with every lie of the enemy and every other spirit or false doctrine. We break agreement with every bad fruit, Lord, and we choose to try our best to be like you and to ask you because you said if we ask, we shall receive. So we ask you for your Holy Spirit and for the truth to be revealed and illuminated within us today that we might have the eyes of our understanding opened, that we might better learn how to fight the battles that we are facing in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in Revelations chapter 1. The book of Revelations was a revelation given to John about things that had happened, were happening, and would happen. It was a book of prophecy that we are living through right now. But there's a lot in it that we need to unpack. And as the Holy Spirit brings revelation, it can help you to stand strong in your faith, especially when the enemy rises up against you because the devil is cunning. The Bible says he was the most subtle, cunning, and intelligent creature that God had ever made. He is smarter than you. He'll play your pride against you to make you think that you know what you're doing, but he is always ahead of you. The only one in all of existence that is smarter than the devil is God. So you have to seek him for his wisdom, and no matter what it seems like to you, trust it. So Lord, give us your wisdom today. Today's message is seven spirits. Starting in Revelations Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So this is a letter that John wrote. John was in exile on the island of Patmos. He had been persecuted for his faith. He was in exile. The Holy Spirit came. Jesus himself came and manifested to him. He said, I'm going to give you some things to write. Send it to these churches. And he begins to write these things. It says it comes from Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, and the seven spirits that stand around the throne of God. So we know who Jesus is. Who are these seven spirits? Thank you so much, Corey. I'm going to need that. 
The Bible does tell us who these seven spirits are, these flames of fire that stand around the throne of God. He tells it to us in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. This is a prophecy. If you read the context around it, Isaiah is prophesying of the time when the Messiah will come and the Holy Spirit will come down and rest upon him like a dove. We know that happened at Jesus' baptism. When we read the disciples' accounts of what happened at Jesus' baptism, we, we hear the physical description of what they physically saw. But when you read Isaiah's prophecy of what was going to happen, you get God's description of what was happening in the Spirit. And so he goes a little deeper, and he tells us, Amen, Shy. She likes this message. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Rest upon Jesus. This was about his baptism. So we're going to say that's number one. The first one is the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally is Jesus' spirit. That's why he had to die to release it to us. We couldn't receive it until he had first cleansed us with his blood, so he did both in one action. He was a sacrifice to cleanse us that we would then be able to receive his spirit once it was released to us. So it all starts with Jesus. The spirit of wisdom. That's two. The spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel. The spirit of might. Might, if you look it up in the original language, literally translates to strength. So it is a spirit of strength. Knowledge, the spirit of knowledge, that literally translates when you look it up in the original Hebrew to discernment. This is a spirit of discernment. And then the last one is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So that gives us how many? Seven spirits. The seven spirits that stand around the throne of God. They're all aspects of the Holy Spirit, but they are ministering spirits that work with the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. But Jesus also works with these spirits or characteristics. These are important to understand and I think more important than we've realized because the Lord told me to read something in an order and when I began to read it, he began to point things out to me and I believe he was showing me something or at least today we will say I have a theory. This is very, very important for the church at this time. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7, we read something. If we were to continue reading in the book of Revelations, he would tell us that from the Spirit of God and from these seven spirits that are around the throne of God comes forth this revelation to the seven churches. It's described as seven stars with seven candlesticks that are burning flames. He tell, And there's no, no need for interpretation. Jesus interprets it. He says the seven Stars are seven angels or spirits, ministering spirits. The seven flames are my ministers. The candlesticks are the churches. There's seven different churches with seven different ministers that are led by seven different spirits. And there's a letter written to each one of them. Now we do understand that in scripture, angels and spirits sometimes are interchangeable and also ministers because it's all messengers of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7, it says, And of the angels he saith, Who God maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. So we get this description, and if you read it all together, it really comes together, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter one, but you can. The flame of fire 
or ministering spirits. So in the old tabernacle, they had a lampstand called the menorah. The original one was an oil lamp. A lot of the ones they make nowadays, they put candles in, but it's supposed to be oil. The oil has the representation of the flowing of the anointing. But this is what it represents, these seven spirits. The center stem is the Lord. Everything flows from the Holy Spirit from Jesus. They were filled with oil, and as the oil came to burn, it would light these other lights as well. And if you'll notice, there's seven in all. So there's one for each. The sinner being the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. As a whole, the lampstand represented the Holy Spirit. So all of these are functioning together of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have all of these in your life, you are not functioning as a true saint of the living God. You're on your way there. You're learning. You're growing. You're not there yet. If you don't have all of these functioning in your church, there is a void that will be filled by a counterfeit. And I think that what we see when we read through the letters written to these seven churches is that each one of these churches had an issue where they were either being led of God's spirit or in some area they had compromised or moved into false doctrine and a counterfeit of it had stepped in. And God leaves no need for figuring it out. It's literally listed in order of the spirits. And as we read it, I think you'll see it. The seven churches that are mentioned, the ones that had failed, had replaced these spirits of God with counterfeits. A false fire had crept in. And it all started with the first one, forsaking the first love, which was Jesus. Once the house is empty, the counterfeits move in. It goes in order. Jesus is the first. Out of Jesus flows all of these other characteristics and spirits, ministering spirits. So without Jesus, you don't have access to them. However, the churches in the book of Revelation, the very first one mentioned, is doing everything right on the surface, but they've forsaken their first love. They're not spending time with God. They're not coming to the house of God. They're not in prayer. They're not in worship. They're not reading the Bible. And in that void, all of these other things began to come in that are counterfeiting the real thing. And I think we can be surprised at how easily these things creep into a person or a church when you leave that void. Jesus warns us of this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. In verse 43, he says, Jesus teaching here, that when the unclean spirit is going out of a man, the only thing that can overcome an evil spirit is a stronger spirit. Jesus, at salvation, he can cast those unclean spirits out. He can kick the enemy out. When he comes into a church, you let the Holy Spirit in, and he delivers that church and casts the enemy out, and he's moving there. So he will endorse it. There's miracles. There's power. All the unclean spirits are gone. You're saved. You're on fire. You feel good for God. Something's different in you. There's a shine. There's a light. There's a hope and an expectation. All those unclean spirits are cast out, and they walk through dry places seeking rest, but they don't find any. Then saith he, talking about the demon that had been cast out, I will return unto my house from whence I came out, and when he has come, he findeth it empty 
swept and garnished. And I think this right here is the key. If he had came back and found the house still full, he could not have taken it because he can't kick Jesus. Jesus said the strong man has been bound. The only way I can kick the devil out is if I'm stronger than him, I have bound the strong man. But if you do something to grieve the Holy Spirit or if you forsake that time with him until that lamp, that oil runs out, the flame's not burning anymore, the house is empty, then he can come back in. And something very interesting happens when he does. Then he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell therein. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. Something interesting is happening here. At first, the man just had an evil spirit. Then he gets delivered of it. He's cleansed. Something's different about him. He's saved. But he lets the oil run out. He lets the fire go out. He lets the passion die. He lets that house become empty and dry. So that same spirit comes back again, but it comes back with seven other spirits. What do you think they are? They are counterfeits of the Holy Ghost. That person still thinks he's saved. That person can still be in church. That person can still be preaching, singing, prophesying. That person can be at home thinking that they're on their way to heaven and be filled with the counterfeits of the Holy Spirit. They can be creating new doctrines of demons like the Bible warns us. Where do you think those doctrines of demons come from? Demons. Unclean spirits. I think this is what God gives us the letters to the seven churches to show us. It's an illustration of what that looks like. Each one of them is a counterfeit of these original spirits that they should have been operating in. So keep the oil full. Keep abiding. Maintain your first love relationship with Jesus or you will grieve the Holy Spirit and in his absence, the counterfeits will move in. You can do this with willful sin when the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you to shed things of your life and you don't want to. You don't obey his leading. He's not going to follow you. It's our job to follow him. God is not meant to serve men. Men are meant to serve him. So if we follow him, then he will take us. He will teach us. He will lead us. But when we choose to do it our own way, we are rebellious just like Satan. He will have no part of it. Something else will come and will convince you that you are just okay the way you are, but you're not. Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. Even when we stray from him, he won't stop loving us. But even if we go to hell, he still loved us. He didn't want it to happen. We chose our destination. He is a just God and he must follow his own commandments, his own rules. He cannot break them. It's a contrary to who he is. He will do what the word says he will do. That means he's faithful to his blessings and his covenants unto a thousand generations, but also to the judgments, to all of it. So what does the Bible say Jesus does whenever these things creep into a person or even a congregation? At the end of the passage where he writes to these seven churches, it literally says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And we like to think of that as salvation, and, and the implication does apply. Yes, when we are lost, he does stand at the door of our heart and knock and say, let me in, because we have to, 
willingly accept him. We have to kick out these other things and let him in because it says he won't share his glory with another. We can't have both. It's one or the other. But the actual literal understanding of what he's saying there, he's standing outside the door of the church knocking. I want to come in. Jesus is locked outside of the church because these other spirits are giving place in it and he won't share his glory with another. This is the case in most churches because even of the seven mentioned in the book of Revelations, there was only two that were doing it all right and they were being warned because they were slipping. All the rest had already fallen. So let us learn from what has happened. We have to break agreement with the counterfeits. We have to remove them from the pulpits. We have to teach the doctrines and words of Jesus. Then and only then will the King of Glory enter in. And it all started with the abiding. The downfall of these churches begins with the one that they mentioned that had forsaken their time with Jesus. So fixing it begins in the same place, the prayer closet. We, as ministers, or every person that ministers to somebody else, are flames of fire also, according to Scripture. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit isn't ministering through us as a flame, then a strange fire is. The Old Testament warns about a strange fire when two of the sons of Aaron added a little something to the fire, thought it would be a good idea, some incense, and God said, I never told you to do it. Therefore, because you added to it, it's become strange fire. God killed them, told the people, even their own father who was a priest, don't even grieve for them or I'll kill you too. That's how serious this is. Don't taint my word. The Bible actually says in the book of Revelations, if you add anything to or take anything from the word, he will take you out of the book of life. In other words, you are not coming into heaven having tainted his message. That's right. So Lord, judge us now that he doesn't have to judge us then. Shine a light in our hearts. Let us not go forth speaking and professing things of God that we know nothing about or telling people that we are Christians when we are not representing his message. It's very serious. The word iniquity in the scripture means crooked, twisted, or perverted version of the truth. It's not a right-out rebellion. It's just a little different. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that God can reach anyone. However, because you have chosen iniquity, which is just a little different than the truth. I'm going to believe this a little different than what the Bible says. I'm going to live this a little different than what God says. It says because of it. Your iniquity has separated you from your God that he will not even hear your prayers. That's what happened in these churches. They have a lot right, but they chose a little wrong, and it separated them from Jesus. He's standing outside the door and knocking. I can't come in to the church that bears my name and is supposed to represent me. That's why there's no revival in the land. People have been praying for revival, but they're praying for revival to these spirits, the counterfeits and not to the real thing. God has to cleanse it, and then he will move in power. So we want the real, right? Then we need to take these warnings serious. We're going to read today. We're not going to do a whole lot of jumping around. We're just going to read, starting Revelations chapter 2, 
We're going to read the letters to the seven churches and we're going to look at what it looks like to have Jesus locked out of your ministry or your life because these things can happen individually also. Starting in verse 1, chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which is Jesus. Remember, he's the one in the middle of the seven candlesticks. I know thy works. Now he's talking to this church. This is Ephesus. So, if my theory holds any water, it should line up something to do with the Spirit of the Lord. If God is trying to teach us something here. I know thy works. Listen to this church and thy labors and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. They have discernment. They have some of these things, it seems. And has found them to be liars. And has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. This sounds like a pretty amazing church. Nevertheless, he says, I have something against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Who is our first love? So it starts, he left Jesus. And I don't think this means that they forsook him. This means that he was no longer first in their life. He wasn't priority. He wasn't, he, they still loved him, but he wasn't their first love. They weren't spending that time. They weren't praying. They weren't seeking. They weren't putting him first. They had become distracted by the things. In fact, it talks about, we talked about in Sunday school when he says the seed that was planted in soil and it produced a tree and it was producing good fruits and everything is great but the deceitfulness of riches and the the lust of this world the things of life career job money partying all those other things it sprung up and it choked it out so that it stopped producing fruit they left their first love the oil dried up when the oil dries up in the middle branch that's where it's coming from then all these others dry up and start getting replaced by seven other spirits because the house is empty. So he warns them. Of course, God loves us. He doesn't want this to happen to us. So he's teaching for a purpose. He warns them. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Come back to your first love. Come back to the prayer closet. Come back to putting me first. Put down all your hobbies and all your plots and plans and ambitions and desires for attention. Come back to Jesus. Or else, he says, I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove the whole candlestick out of his place, except you repent. You can lose the holy Spirit. But this thou dost hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. I'll continue on that in another verse. So, that's the first church. For those who lost their first love, he's going to take away the Holy Spirit, which means you lose everything else. But for those who overcome, so maybe it started to happen and you dried up, and then God 
showed you and corrected you and you went back to the prayer closet and you got back that relationship and the fire's burning bright again. To those who have overcome, this is what you get. I will give of you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You will make it to heaven and you will have eternal life if you get this right. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and now is alive. Of course, Jesus. I know thy works and tribulation. These people were going through tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I like that. He says, though they live in poverty, though spiritually they were actually rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews, but are not but or of the synagogue of Satan. There were some who were claiming to be part of the faith, but they weren't, they were actually of the enemy. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, that ye shall have tribulations there ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. This church had not yet compromised, but there was a trying coming against them, and Jesus wanted to warn them to move in wisdom. When I look up the definition in the original spirits of this word of wisdom, it says specifically that it was the wisdom in how to win a war or how to win a fight. He was talking to these people about their trials and persecutions to maintain their faith, to be faithful unto death, don't renounce your faith. Keep your profession of faith. Keep your righteousness. Don't become arrogant or hateful or, or full of bitterness or offense. He's teaching them this church is led by a spirit of wisdom, and they're being warned, maintain this. Continue to seek the wisdom of the Lord even unto death, because if you move in your own wisdom and what you think, you're going to lose it. He's going to bless you. You'll get a crown of life if you're willing to lose your life. This is the wisdom of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear losing your relationship with Jesus, you will maintain wisdom. So it was a warning to have wisdom in the fight of faith. What did Paul say to enjoy the blessings of faith? No, Paul said to contend for the faith. Contend means to fight. It is a fight to maintain the right faith. We can have faith in anything. We can have faith in demons. We can have faith in witchcraft. We can have faith in whatever we want. It's not a biblical faith unless it's faith in what God says. In fact, if we have faith in what we think when it's contrary to what God says, then we do what Lucifer did. We set ourselves above God, and we have idolatry in our heart for our own logic. So continuing on, let's see what happens in the next church. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. This is the one when he was talking about have the wisdom not to forfeit your faith even when they try to kill you for it. This is part of your reward. If you ever have to face keeping your profession of faith at the cost of your own life, then there is a reward given to it that the second death has no hurt on you. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. 
I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and has not denied my faith. So this seems really good too. These people are being persecuted and martyred, but they're still holding the name of Jesus in faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was also slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So they even had some of their congregation that had been killed in persecution, but they maintained their profession that Jesus is Lord. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So this church, we can talk a little bit about those doctrines. This church, if my theory holds true, should have been under the influence of a spirit of understanding, but instead it had been replaced by false doctrine, a counterfeit understanding. So they had false doctrine. My pen is running out of ink. Counterfeit spirit to the spirit of understanding. God will, the Holy Spirit will cause you to understand the word. If you spend time with Jesus, he will give you understanding. But if you don't spend that time, there will be a void and emptiness and a counterfeit spirit will come in and give you a counterfeit understanding and that's where false doctrine comes from. Specifically, the two doctrines he's talking about here, the doctrine of Balaam, is a doctrine that was taught in the Old Testament we have some teachings on it. You can go and read it up. But basically, he was teaching them that it was okay to sin, that they wouldn't lose their salvation. And, and in doing so, there was an intent to get them into sin so that the enemy could overcome them. And the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was a doctrine of control. The people weren't free to seek the Lord themselves on how to grow in faith, but he told them the, the, the Nicolaitans were very controlling. They told them everything they had to do you know, you, you might think of it today, you know, how you dress, how you walk, how you, you, you can't go visit that other church. They controlled their faith. And Jesus said, I hate this. I hate this doctrine. You don't control people's faith. You give them the truth and let them make their decisions. And you don't ever tell them that sin is okay, that they won't lose their salvation. These were the two false doctrines that are particularly mentioned when you go through the teachings of the doctrines of Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans. But it encompasses all false doctrine that if the true Holy Spirit is not there, that void will be filled with all manner of false understanding and, and doctrines of demons. But he tells them, repent. And, and not everybody in this congregation had these doctrines. Some believed it and some didn't. This is very interesting because when you study the doctrine of Balaam that tells people that it's okay to commit some sins, that you won't miss heaven because of it, if it's unrepented, it says that Jesus himself will come and fight against you for it. It literally makes you the enemy of God. It makes it antichrist. But not everybody in the congregation believed that. But yet there was still a curse on the whole church because they allowed it. So sometimes people will say, well, you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. No, we believe what Jesus believed or we don't believe anything at all. 
He says, repent or else I will come unto you quickly. And Jesus is saying, I will fight against you. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Remember when he returns in the clouds in the end, it says there's a sword coming out of his mouth. These are the things he's coming to judge and fight against. Don't be found among them. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcomes this false doctrine, I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. If you overcome this thing, this false doctrine, he will give you of the hidden manna. What is hidden manna? Revelation. It's understanding. He will open up the word to you. Manna in scripture represents the bread of life. Jesus, that revelation, that spending that time every day, he will open up. He will give you the hidden things. He will bring you understanding when you overcome the counterfeit spirit that is trying to bring you false doctrine. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto flames of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. These are all descriptions of Jesus. And I know thy works to this church in Thyatira, and charity. Oh, they were charitable and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. They have good things. They have a lot right in all of these churches. And thy works, and that the last to be more than the first. So they continue to grow in these things. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornications, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and the translation is a sick bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, so there's some that are okay with it and some that are not. To those who were not, he says, I won't put anything more on you other than what you have already suffered and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put no more other burden on you. Go to the next verse. But that which ye have already endured, hold fast till I come. So the next spirit we're looking at is counsel. So what happens in the next church of Thyatira? They have a false teacher. You think they're getting good counsel. Counsel comes with a teaching gift, but they have Jezebel teaching. They're allowing her to teach things that are causing people to stumble in sin. Some are in agreement with it, some are not. Those who are not, he says, I do not judge you for it. But those who are allowing it, it will cause all manner of conflict and trouble in the church. This is an evil spirit of false counsel. She's a false teacher. 
He said, you have allowed her to teach. And he gave her space for repentance. She probably was right at one point, but she let the candlestick burn out. A false spirit moved in. She's giving bad counsel, bad advice, causing division, envy, offense, whatever, causing people to commit sin within the congregation, and they're okay with it. Again, this is not because she was a woman. Jezebel spirits can work through men too. It's a spirit of false counsel. Don't go for others to others for wisdom unless you know that they are bearing the fruits of the spirit. But for those who recognize it and don't succumb to it and overcome this spirit and keep my words unto the end, in other words, we choose to obey the Bible, not what somebody taught us, To him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessel of a potter shall they be broken with shivers, even as I received of my father. So in heaven we still have jobs and positions depending on your faithfulness and what you did here in this life. The Bible says if you're faithful with a little, he'll make you ruler over much. And so they, he's saying, for those who overcome this thing, he will make them ruler over nations in the life to come. And I will give him the morning star, which is Jesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he, that hath the seven spirits of God. Again, coming back to the fact that Jesus and the full accomplishment of the Holy Spirit are all seven of these spirits, the good spirits. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. These are from God. The others are not. And the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. I find this very interesting because when I looked up the literal definition of the word might in the Old Testament, it said strength. It's a spirit of strength. And to the next church on the list, that is the prayer coming from God. Strengthen. Seek the spirit of strength. You need to strengthen. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that ye are ready to die. Be willing to die for your faith. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief in the night, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The language used in this passage specifically is the same language that Jesus used concerning his second coming, his return. This church had failed to preach the return of Jesus. And that's what it comes down to. When you preach to people and keep them in the watch and re keep reminding yourself and remembering that Jesus is coming, that we're going to be judged, that we're going to be rewarded, that there is a time coming soon when tribulation will come and you have to be willing to die if necessary to maintain what you have learned in the book. When you preach that, you minister strength and faith 
to maintain the fight. He says some of these people are ready to die because they have no uh, goal before them to keep going forward to. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Understand what he's saying. Jesus is saying that only those who did not defile their garments, who remained pure and without sin, seeking and waiting and watching until his coming, will receive white garments. Without it, they miss the bridegroom. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. That means that if you don't do it, your name will be removed from it. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So this spirit of might or strength, they needed strength. They needed the Spirit. The Spirit was available. Were they asking for it? Remember that Jesus constantly said, ask, 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 and you shall receive. Ask, ask. Are you asking for these things or are you trusting in your own ability? Are you seeking the Lord for all of these things daily in your ministering? Or are you trusting in a counterfeit spirit? Because if you're not, there's a scripture, uh, Danny had did a sermon, there's a scripture in the Old Testament where it says that a king did evil in the sight of the Lord because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. If you don't seek and ask and ask for these things and seek him for these wisdoms and counsels and spirit and the, and the dwelling of God, you will by default receive the, uh, the, the counterfeit of it. You will by default get the wrong thing, the wrong information because the house is empty. So they're coming to fill it. You can grieve the Holy Spirit and he will depart. These other spirits don't care about being grieved. They're coming in, they're gonna fill the void. So it's your place to keep your heart full of Jesus and of the real thing. Amen. No, vacancy. no vacancy. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, we've only got two more. Write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth, descriptions of Jesus. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now this is interesting because this word knowledge, the literal translation is discernment. And he's telling them, you're doing good, you have a little strength, keep it up because there are those who are lying among you who say that they are Jews, which means of the body of Christ. We are Jews grafted in. They, they're claiming to be part of the body, but they're really not. Do you, you're using your discernment. You're recognizing them. Keep it up. Don't lose the spirit of discernment. Maintain it. You need it to not be deceived. And I find it interesting. The only two churches that were getting things right were the ones that were depending on discernment and wisdom. 
from the Lord. Not their own wisdom, God's, not their own knowledge, but discernment from the Lord. We need all of these things. But I do agree with Daddy's old sermons that discernment is probably the most important and wisdom. Because without it, you'll be deceived. But you won't have any of that unless you spend time with Jesus because it's all coming from him in the first place. Don't let the oil run. Jesus warned us. He gave us a parable. Don't let the oil run out. The ten virgins. Five kept the oil in. Five let it run out. And when he came, they weren't ready and there was no way to fix it. They couldn't come and there wasn't enough time. The oil is what flows from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, through the manifestations of these other spirits and gifts. It's interesting, these also correlate with the gifts of the Spirit. We have no time to go into that, but you can go and correlate them. I think we may have done it in a previous message to the gifts of the Spirit also. They all tie together. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. This is the promise and the blessing that's given to those who use discernment. He will keep them from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. I think that this is part of the great deception. We were talking in Sunday school about the great deception. There is an hour of temptation that's coming upon all the world. You will be tempted to participate or to fall to this great deception. Those who overcome and maintain their discernment will not fall to the deception that is coming which shall come upon all the earth to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You will lose your crowns. That is your eternal reward. Not only your reward, but one of the crowns is the crown of eternal life, so you, you lose your place in eternity. To him that overcome will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write unto him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. This one is very important because this one is absolutely lacking in the Church of America. The Church of America is the Church of Laodicea. We have problems in American churches with all of them, but this is a big one. Remember, the last one is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is a description of what happens to a congregation or a Christian that does not have a true fear of the Lord. These things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, which is Jesus. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would rather that ye were cold or hot. I'd rather you be all in or all out, on fire for God or in the boardroom. Stop playing with my name, pretending to be a Christian, but living in sin and bringing shame and reproach upon it. Do you not fear me? There is a greater judgment for this. There is a greater judgment for claiming to be a Christian, but misrepresenting the message of Jesus than for just living in straight out willful open sin, because at least you're not deceiving people or making them comfortable in their sin and leading them to hell doing it. There's no fear of the Lord in this church. So then, because thou art lukewarm, you're playing the fence, and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. The literal translation there, God's saying, I will vomit, you make me sick. 
That's a hard word. God literally says, you make me sick, I will puke you out. And the reason for that is, is because if we choose to live in sin, we are bringing ourselves into hell. And that's a sad thing and God doesn't want it. If we choose to live in righteousness, we bring ourselves to heaven through his ability, his power, his blood, his Holy Spirit, and we lead others with us. When we stand in the middle and play both parts, we lead others astray. We hurt other people. And that's a serious thing to God. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me, even though he's saying you are so horrible and you don't even know how bad off you are, still I give you counsel to come to me and buy gold that is tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Real gold tried in the fires of affliction, purity. Gold represents purity. Be willing to give up these things that you think you want because you don't understand how destitute it's making you. That thou mayest be rich and gain white raiment, the purity, the white raiment in scripture is the righteousness of the saints. That thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The Lord is saying, I am giving you this warning because I do love you and I'm trying to correct you because I don't want to lose you to eternal damnation because that's where you're heading if you don't come into alignment with the teachings of Jesus. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, this is how this message ends. Jesus is standing outside the door of these churches. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And the only thing I can put for the church that has no fear of the Lord is sin. Because he covers so much in it. It's selfish, it's prideful, it's rebellious, it's full of sin, and it's leading others into damnation. And it's so sad that Jesus ends this message by saying, I'm standing outside the door and knocking. It's up to you to let me in. But I won't share my glory with another, so you've got to kick these other lovers out. Just because the resources of heaven have been made available to you doesn't mean that men will choose to use it. The question is, do we believe enough to take the time to humbly seek God and to ask for that wisdom daily, to ask for those resources as you need it? to keep you from straying, as even Jesus did. As our example, he spent time alone with God to pray, to seek, to ask for strength and wisdom and counsel, and to be led by all of these ministering spirits. It all starts with spending time with Jesus until he reveals to you which of the seven spirits are needed to get you and your church family 
through the current situation and season. I believe that these churches were given to us as an example so that we could see these spirits in operation or in absence. Either way, we can learn from it. So let it stir your faith and let us ask for them. I know this is a different message. It's more of a teaching. We usually do these on Wednesday night, but the Lord has a purpose for it. So Lord, we ask you for your real Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, we ask you to come and fill us with the oil, the anointing, that no counterfeit step in and fill our pulpits or shine false fire from our lives to our children or the friends around us. Lord, let us be examples of you and your true teachings. Teach us, Jesus. You said your Holy Spirit was given to teach us, but that we have to ask for it. So today, God, we repent of being in agreement with any of these spirits from having an altered or crooked uh, belief that is not in alignment with your words and teachings or even from just being absent from your presence, from time with you, that that void would be created, that these other things could then come in and begin to confuse and confound us, Lord. We pray it individually, we pray it as families, and we pray it as church bodies, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come forgive us. You said to repent. Every one of them, repent, repent, repent. That means choose to turn away from it. Stop doing it and come seek Jesus for the power and equipment to move in the truth of your spirit. So God, we ask you to wash us in your blood. Fill us with your spirit, the real Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you today for your spirit. We ask you today for the spirit of wisdom to rest upon us, that we would know how to win the fights around us. God, we ask you for the spirit of understanding that we would move in revelation and not false doctrine. God, we ask for the spirit of counsel that we not give bad advice, Lord, or be a false teacher to those around us, including those of our own households. God, we ask for the spirit of might that we might be strengthened to continue on strong in the fight until the day of your returning, that we not become lazy or undiscerning. We pray for the spirit of knowledge, Lord, that we might have that discernment to know who is right and who is wrong, who is for us, who's against us, and who is led by you, your Holy Spirit, or a counterfeit. Lord, we ask most of all right now, Lord, for the spirit of the fear of the Lord, that we would fear walking in rebellion, pride, or sin, that we would see our destitute state, that we would not remain on the fence, recognizing that all those who are on the fence, they're going to fall at some point, Lord, before your day comes, they will be judged. And this is so serious, my friend, because in the end, there's a battle in the ba known as, as the Battle of Armageddon, where we've all heard about it, but we've, we've put it in our mind like a fairy tale, but it's real. It's in the scripture. It takes place in the Valley of Decision. This place resides in Israel between the Mount of Olives where Jesus gave us his real teachings and Mount Calvary where he was betrayed and crucified. But when Jesus comes again, he comes and he fights against all those that are not only against him, like those who stood at Mount Calvary and crucified him, but he also destroys those who are still in the Valley of Decision. You've got to pick a side because only those who are standing with him at the place where he taught the Mount of Olives, only those who are standing in agreement with his words because it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Do we believe what he says 
in his word. That will save you. That's who he's coming back for. That's who's going to be clothed in robes of righteousness. Everybody else he's coming to fight against with the sword of his mouth, even those still in the valley of decision. Make your decision today. Today is the time right now. Lord, we cry out now as the altars are opened, Lord. We leave it there for people to speak to you individually, Lord. Give us an understanding of reality, Lord, a revelation of the destination that we might have a fear of the Lord, Lord, because it says that you are both severity and it's to those who are with you, you are goodness, but to those who have stood against you, Lord, to those who have fallen from the truth, you are severe, Lord. It is great severity that stands against the God of creation, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord, Lord. So we come before you humbly and we cry out, Lord, we need you more now than we ever have before. The altars are open. Make your petitions known to him personally. If there's anything you need to ask, but I ask, Lord, individually strengthen us. For the fight that is to come, purify us that we might be true vessels of your anointing. We need the fire to burn bright, Lord, in these dark times. There's been enough counterfeits and you are moving with judgment in the land and it begins in the house of God because they have taught vain and profane things in your name. But you are coming for a pure and spotless bride and you are going to move mightily through those who have sat at your feet and learned the real you, willing to teach it and represent it and ask you for the ability to daily walk in it. We seek you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. And we repent first and foremost from neglecting you because that's where it all started, going off track for these churches, and it happens to us too. Yet all the while, you were there knocking. All the while, you were still saying, I love you. And I want to fix it. I want to bless you. I want to give you all these rewards in eternity. But I can't even come in to get to you because I won't share my glory with another. Oh, Jesus, we cast out the other lovers right now. And we make you the priority, the first love of our lives in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.